Hello, everyone. Welcome to Not Another Military History Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jacob, and with me today again is Matt. How goes it, Matt? <laughs> keep, it with, keep it with the tradition of making the weird noises as soon as it opens. I, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> you will. <laughs> Gotta be consistent. Absolutely. Consistency is uh, second to cleanliness. I'm pretty sure somebody said that. Oh, wow. Uh, if not, I Puritan over here. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> second to godliness. So, Matt, um, how much do you know about the country of Zanzibar? <laughs> Zanzibar. Yep. Um, I think I've had a drink that was a Zanzibar. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably the most a lot of people know about it, to be quite frank. You don't really hear much about it throughout world history. Uh, it's a very small island. Uh, it's an archipelago, actually, off the coast of uh, East Africa, off the coast of Tanzania. And in 1896, that small island would pick a fight with another small island you might have heard of uh, called Great Britain. And uh, <laughs> it, it didn't go very well for them. We are talking about the Anglo-Zanzibar War of 1896, also known as the shortest war in world history. <laughs> I 100% thought you were going to say Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking lemurs just like yes. coming and sw- swinging over the fucking vines from Madagascar and pummeling, you know, Zanzibar. Amazing. But uh, so, as I mentioned, Zanzibar is an island within the Zanzibar Archipelago, which lies just off the coast of Tanzania in East Africa. So colloquially, it's known as Zanzibar, but the main island within the Zanzibar archipelago is called uh, Unguja. Uh, but just, we're just going to call it Zanzibar, just for you know simplicity's sake for this podcast. So uh, for most of its history, it served as a trading hub between Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. So the island has never really been very resource-rich. There's really not much that grows there. There's not much to mine. There's not like a ton of animals or anything like that. But it, uh, the island of Unguja offers a defensible harbor, so it's long been settled by Yemenis and Omanis. So people, have been, sailors and you know different people, have been coming from Yemen and Oman for generations. Uh, these these settlers founded Zanzibar City along with the first mosques in the African Great Lakes region. Uh, they also created a social system, which a small Arab elite population helped sway over the Bantu general population. So they bring the religion, and then they also they bring the uh, the the terrible social classes so <laughs> yeah to uh i'm not gonna say that the two are always linked but it's 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 it's, it's not a good look i will say that much <laughs> it's not a good look no no when when you have you know a, a group of um considering Works you know how what, yeah, when, when you when you consider how long the arab slave trade lasted like some of these countries i remember reading like i think ethiopia like abolished the slave trade in like 1942 yeah. You know? yeah. So when you consider how long all of these the, slave, the Arab slave trade lasted, it's it's, it's not very good. So um, so during the age of exploration, the Portuguese Empire took over Zanzibar and they ruled it for about two hundred years until the Portuguese relinquished its hold of the island in sixteen ninety eight to the Sultan of Oman. And uh, shortly thereafter, the ruling Arab elite in the country developed a cash crash economy that focused primarily on the production of spices, uh, hence they were uh, for a long time known as the Spice Islands. Yeah, also known as that place where the the British never go. Uh, yeah, they're they're still living. I saw this picture earlier today, and it was like a, somebody posted it in this meal in Britain and everything. And it was like just like beans with like it looked like unseasoned like potatoes that had barely been cooked, oh my God. and just like butter, just like on top of bread, was even toasted. 
and like, oh, this is a great British breakfast and everything, and someone respond and they're like, oh, British is still living, like it's in the Blitz, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they still think the German Stukas are screaming down, dropping their bombs. Right. There's meth in the air. There's meth in the air. <laughs> See, I, I have a theory that the Germans, uh, that the Germans actually bombed the British culinary school, and that's why their food is. <laughs> is that your theory? <laughs> yes, yes. That that's why ever. Well, it's ever so since funny. Then, There's like this joke <laughs> that all the best food in Britain is French, <laughs> like all the Michelin star restaurants. That, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Now you know why Gordon Ramsay is so fucking angry all the time. <laughs> you can't fucking cook. Oh. The ivory oh, tray, Zanzibar, Zanzibar, the bar of Zanzi. So, uh, an, an ivory trade was developed on the island that uh, sadly continues to this day. Sad for the elephants. Uh, mm. Let's see, and then still uh, happening today. Yep, yeah, it's yeah. not again, not a is good look legal? at Zanzibar. <laughs> is it legal there? Like, I don't it... think. So. I wouldn't think so. I mean, it's legal throughout, or it's illegal throughout most of the African continent. So it's probably right. just a big smug, smuggler's place. Mm. But uh. And, of course, slaves were also its third major exports. Uh, slaves were bought to Zanzibar from the African mainland and then exported to India, cementing its place in the Indian Ocean slave trade. So Zanzibar has this great location for being a trade hub because it's right off the coast of Tanzania and then also not too far away from India either. So you have traders coming from India and coming from Africa, and there's a great exchange of goods taking place. So it's just a, you know, it, you know, it was a trading hub for the longest time, just due to its location alone. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of gold still comes out of Tanzania. Absolutely, yeah. It's a big place for that. I think they even do like um, some of those even, uh, what is it, cobalt or something? I can't remember what. Yeah, it the cobalt in the Congo and everything. Yeah, that's. Yes, um, yeah. I, I just I listened to a podcast about that recently. It's some, some pretty rough stuff out there. Oh, just to, God. Just yeah. to say lightly, it's, you know, slave labor, and it's in every single one of our iPhones. So mm -hmm. it is. It's in our, my pocket. It's, I'm talking through it right now. Yeah. Yep. Same here. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, right. slavers. Right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, slavers coming in clutch for 2023. No, that's. Hey, but they now <laughs> So. We're going to go ahead and skip forward in time about uh, a little under 200 years to 1896. So, uh, oh, Zanzibar, wow. yeah, so Zanzibar quickly became engulfed in the scramble for Africa in which the European powers sought to divide the continent up between them. Uh, the British took South Africa and Kenya. The Germans took East Africa and Tanzania. The Belgians took the Congo, famously a place where nothing bad has ever happened. And the French had most of West Africa and Northwest Africa as well. So Britain was apprehensive about Germany's growing power and influence in Europe uh, at this time. See, Germany had been united, all the German states united in the 1870s, and they kicked uh, Austria's ass during the Prussia-Austro-Prussia uh, uh, War. Lord, I, I get this mixed up. Just, and say then also, Just say Bismarck did. Bismarck, Bismarck, yeah, that's all you didn't know. <laughs> so they kicked Austria's ass in the Austro-Prussian War and also kicked France's ass in the Franco-Prussian War. So Germany is kind of this upstart, uh, you know, empire where they're starting to grab. Uh, they've only, I mean, Britain hasn't been conquering places, you know, since before the American Revolution. And here Germany comes along, you know, in the 1870s, and it just starts, you know, gobbling up places in Africa. Uh, they gobble a bunch of, you know, islands in uh, the Pacific and everything, like, you know, German Samoa, of course. 
And then so Britain is starting to get very weary of this uh, kind of this new upstart empire that's coming out of Germany and um, as well as the German army as well and German navy. So uh, in 1890, so Britain and Germany signed the Heliogoland Zanzibar Treaty, which ceded Tanzania to Germany and Zanzibar to the British. So they're kind of trying to avoid any potential conflict uh, between the two countries. So Britain declared Zanzibar British protectorate and installed its own puppet, Sultan Hamid bin Thuwaini, uh, on the Zanzibar throne in 1893. So uh, most of his, for the first three years of his rule, it was pretty uneventful. Not all that much happened. Uh, but suddenly, uh, in 1896, just three years after he was installed, Hamid died suddenly in his palace. So the... Though we don't know exactly what happens, like and there's still we still haven't fully figured it out to this day. It's heavily suspected that he was murdered by his cousin Khalid bin Bargash, uh, probably poisoned. Uh, this is all the more likely considering that Khalid occupied the palace with his own soldiers just hours after Hamid died. <laughs> so uh, one might call that suspicious. Right. There's no <laughs> such thing as coincidence. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> he is it suspicious. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey guys, you know, like, oh, I mean, this throne is just empty, so you know, like, uh, I mean, my cousin would have wanted me to have it, I'm sure. So let me just go ahead and move all my soldiers in the palace and just, you know, <laughs> lower the flag, and it's like, you know, it's it's all good, guys. Don't this worry about it. It's not IKEA, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. God damn it, IKEA. We're the meatballs, uh, but. So, the British, though, uh, were not too happy about this, naturally, because they wanted Hamoud bin Muhammad to rule instead. He was kind of another one of their puppets in the, in the region. So, they immediately set out to dethrone Khalid. So, the British Vice Council of East Africa, Basil Cave, uh, or Basil Cave, demanded that Khalid relinquish the throne, and Khalid ignored his demands. So, uh, not only did Khalid ignore his demands, but he also gathered a force of 3,000 soldiers around the palace, Armed with the rifles, artillery, and the addition of an armed uh, royal yachts in the harbor. So he basically did like the 1890s Zanzibar equivalent of like pit my ride and just put a bunch of like cannons just like all up on this fucking yacht, you know, like. <laughs> man, man, the 1890s really were ride. just a great, a great time to be alive. Like you, you couldn't do that nowadays. I couldn't just take like a howitzer and put it on a yacht, you know, like. Well. <laughs> All, all I'm saying, though, is I want to be able to take, like, a 105mm howitzer and just put it on a yacht. I don't think that's too much to ask. I think so. you can do it. I, I'll let you do it. You <laughs> you'll, you'll let me do it? I'll have your permission for that? Yeah, I'll sign a Ron Swanson, because I said so, note. <laughs> yes, I can do what I want, yes. <laughs> uh, Ron Swanson is the best. I have a permit. <laughs> <laughs> this just says I could do what I want. <laughs> and? <laughs> and, yes. You what can't a legend! Slaughter a pig. <laughs> god damn it! Oh god! We need we need Ron Swanson in more history. Well, I mean, like, just imagine oh. what he would be doing in this situation. <laughs> if you can put cannons on that yacht, Ron. <laughs> Wait, I have a permit. Just says I can do what I want. You can't just murder your cousin, Ron, in front of all these people. <laughs> you can't just poison him. You can't just take his throne. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so two British warships were already anchored in the harbor, the HMS uh, Philomel and the HMS Rush. And the British started to land troops immediately to protect the British consulate 
and uh, Cave also called upon the nearby HMS Sparrow to assist as well. So you have the Philomel, the Rush, and the Sparrow, uh, all of the British warships. So Cave immediately sent a telegram to the British government as well, asking, quote, are we authorized in the events of all attempts at a peaceful solution proving useless to fire on the palace from the men of war? So I love how he's just immediately just going to like just bombarding the shit out of Zanzibar. Like this guy has absolutely no chill. Yeah, he had no patience for it. <laughs> like, you know, like nowadays, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying this is, you know, I'm not saying it's good that he did this by any means, but nowadays it'd be like the UN would send a letter. It'd be like, oh, oh we request that you remove your troops from Zanzibar. <laughs> And then they get ignored, and then they send another letter, like, two months later, and then another one, and then they would have a debate about whether or not to send troops to Zanzibar, <laughs> and then, like, the debate would get, like, you know, like, just, like, shot down, and it's, like, just, like... Wow, what, send what? Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs> right, just there, like, how dare you? Yes. <laughs> how how dare generation. you occupy the throne? <laughs> but, like, yeah, just, you know, it's just such a fucking useless organization. Oh, my God. Yeah. These multilateral, anytime you hear multilateral organization, they get nothing done. No, not at all. Nothing happens. They're, they're useless. Well, yeah. Well, well, there's like, you've seen like, you know, pictures and stuff like of like you and soldiers that when they're called to intervene in a conflict is because like the rules of engagement say that they're not allowed to like, you know, like defend themselves or fire on like soldiers. Then you've it's like pictures of them being like handcuffed to doors and stuff. By like you know the like these African rebels, and it's like, what are you even here for? Like, uh, so the Foreign Office responded to Cave, saying, "Quote: You are authorized to adopt whatever measures you may consider necessary, and will be supported in your action by Her Majesty's government. Do not, however, attempt to take any action which you are not certain of being able to accomplish successfully." So what they're saying, you basically is like, "Hey, you can pretty much do whatever you think is necessary." But just make sure you're not going to do anything that embarrasses us, pretty much. <laughs> like, right. Because, you know, the worst thing would be for, like, the mighty British Empire at this stage when they're competing with the German Empire in Africa. And Germany is right next door in Tanzania. They're watching all of this stuff go down. So the worst thing that could happen for, you know, the British, you know, um, would be for them to basically, like, try to get, you know... Um, What's his name? Bargash. I'm just going to call him Bargash. Um, off the throne. And then just for it to be a total disaster. And they get their asses kicked and, you know, are limping back to London. That would just be like a total, total loss for them. Uh, so uh, on August 26th, Cave issued his final ultimatum to Khalid, demanding that Khalid exit the palace uh, by 9 a.m. Here I go saying that I was going to call him Bargash. And then in my notes, I wrote Khalid. So <laughs> we're going <laughs> with Khalid now. So. Uh, meanwhile, Cave pulled civilian vessels out of the harbor in preparation for war. So shit's about to go down. So uh, Cade heard absolutely nothing from Khalid until 8 a.m. the next morning, an hour before the ultimate expired. So he told him that he's going to start bombing the shit out of his place at 9 a.m. And then so at 8, uh, Khalid contacts Cave and gave his reply, stating, quote, We have no intention of hauling down our flag, and we do not believe that you would fire upon us. <laughs> So basically daring, like, yeah. Basil Cave to do anything. Just saying, like, you know what? Do it. You know, like, try us. His so, name is Basil? Yes, his name is Basil Cave. I wouldn't fuck with that guy. No, he, he, he sounds like he's, like, you know, he sounds like he probably gets in, like, some, you know, barroom fights and stuff, you know, like, over yeah. in the pubs, you know, like, in in York and stuff, you know. Like, he's, he's probably not a dude you want to mess with. He's not Willy Wacker. 
no, he's not Willy Wally, the, the, the <laughs> masturbating chimp. So <laughs> if you don't know that reference, go back and listen to our episode on the Gone by Chimpanzee War. It will become a lot more clear. <laughs> so then Cave sent his own reply, stating, quote, We have no desire to fire upon you, but if you do not do as you are told, you will certainly do so. <laughs> so, 9 a.m. comes around, and the British began bombarding the palace. In only two minutes, most of Khalid's artillery was destroyed, and the palace began to collapse. Because the palace was uh, very shoddily built, the materials just were not good, it just was not architecturally up to snuff, as the kids would say. Uh, so, uh, the, the palace began to collapse, uh, immediately trapping its 3,000 defenders under the rubble. So, like, they didn't really even have to shoot at the defenders either. Like, they didn't have to shoot at Khalid's men at all. They just bombarded the palace and then just fell on top of all of them. <laughs> just came down like a giant stack of cards. You, you love to see it. Um, so it's just fascinating to me that he knew when they were going to strike. 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And he didn't preemptively. <laughs> he didn't do anything. On, like, he didn't you do anything. Like, like I don't know, you could have like done something like you know maybe like try to like you know rearrange your forces outside of the palace. They wouldn't be you know bombarded on. He could have you know tried to you know like I don't know like go into exile or something rather, or could have had his men go underground. There's just so many things you could have done. You could have done in a situation. I mean, hell, even trying to like you know raid the ships, you know, with you know men in rowboats under you know cover of darkness or something. You know, that would be kind mm-hmm. of a pretty ballsy move. But um, instead, so, he just died like a putz. Well, so we're getting there. Oh, so oh, Khalid's, oh, oh. Khalid's not dead yet. Oh. So, yes. The oh more, more, more developments are underway. So, two minutes after the bombardment started, Khalid abandoned his army and ran away to the back exit of the palace. <laughs> so, just running away like a bitch. Just like all that big talk. And you're just going to take right out the back. <laughs> he just ran yeah. out the back. Yep. Just he like, ran no. out the back door. Yep. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, winky winky. Wink wink face. But so by 9:40 a.m. Uh, he's Fulton's a total fly. back door guy. I'm sorry. This guy. <laughs> he's a he's a bottom. He's definitely he's a bottom a, yeah. for sure. He's like you're you're in the wrong hole and he's like right? no I'm more, not. More, <laughs> more like Khalid bin bottom. Hey. <laughs> Bargash, more like bottom. More like bottom. <laughs> uh, so, by 9.40 a.m., the Sultan's flag was lowered, and so ended the Anglo-Zanzibar War of 1896. The shortest war in history at a whopping 38 minutes. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and let's see what our, what our podcast is at right now. So we're at 22 minutes, so we're almost like, we're like more than half of the length of that entire war right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. So, it's uh, so 500 of Khalid's soldiers were killed during the bombardment, with the British suffering a single casualty when a British officer was injured by a shell. Later recovered oh, in the hospital. He right. was one. one <laughs> yeah, he one was a single himself. one. You know, this, this battle also kind of reminds me a little bit of the Battle of Manila Bay as well during the uh, the, the Spanish American War when the or, or, sorry when the American Navy just wiped the floor with the Spanish, and they suffered, like, a single casualty. It was because of heat stroke. (laughs) Not even just due to enemy fire. A guy just got too hot and then just, like, passed passed out and died. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yes. 
we'll, we'll probably do an episode on the uh, the Spanish American War as well. I think that'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. But uh, so in to conclusion, hell with Spain. Yep. Was it remember the main to hell with remember Spain? Remember the main yep. to hell with Spain. That's it. And then, uh, so in conclusion, Sultan Hamoud bin Mohammed ended up, uh, the British put him in charge after Khalid, you know, ran away and ruled Zanzibar on behalf of the British for the next six years. Uh, Khalid escaped to Tanzania with the assistance of the Germans and remained there despite British protests until 1916 when the British invaded Germany, East Africa during World War One, and finally captured him 20 years after the war. <laughs> so, <laughs> Holy shit. They have to, you, you can't say they don't hold a grudge. So the British. Years. Yep, 20 years. And then, uh, so, the British imprisoned him at St. Helena Island and then the Seashell Islands until 1922, when the British allowed him to return to Mombasa, Kenya, where he held land. He died there in 1927. So, they had held him, uh, actually the same place that they held Napoleon. So, yeah. Yeah, and they would also send, if you listened to our, uh, our second episode, the War of the Golden Stool, the Seashell Islands is also where they sent... The uh, the ruler King Prempe the uh, I believe it was Prempe the first yes uh, of uh, of Ashanti land after the fourth Anglo Ashanti war and then they later sent his wife and a bunch of other chiefs there afterwards after the uh, fifth Anglo Ashanti war because they rebelled against the British rule so not a not a fun place to be uh, Saint Helena or this, see the seashell though sounds so nice like you like you imagine Doesn't like, it? You're just, yeah. yeah you're like you're strolling down the shore just like oh look at all these pretty seashells. And then you realize it's been the prison for the past, like, you know, several, you know, centuries for the British. You're like, oh, I don't, maybe I don't want to go there. Yeah, maybe I want to get a condo. Land is probably cheap. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Go, go start, you know, setting up some real estate in there. You know? <laughs> That's right. Develop House, the hell out of it. House Hunters International Seashells Islands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't come for me, Gramsci. Don't come for me, Gramsci. <laughs> and you... And here you have a very picturesque view of the graves of several executed African chiefs that the British, you know, oh, killed in like 1912. God dang! Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that? Isn't doesn't that just raise the property value in this? <laughs> right. The, Our neighborhood the, watch is insane. <laughs> let, let me tell you that this this area, you know, right on top of all these graves of you know British prisoners, is really going to be like you know popping off the next <laughs> couple of years. You're going to get in now, right? And before the prices start shooting up there. <laughs> you want to get it while it's hot. Right. I mean cold. I, I mean hot. I mean cold. Just get it. Just, just get, get it. Just get it now. Please, please. We're desperate. <laughs> so, fast forward to 1963. Zanzibar oh. achieved its independence from Britain in 1963 as a constitutional monarchy under the Sultan. A year later, the government was overthrown by revolutionaries led by Jean Okello, who then proclaimed the People's Republic of of uh, Zanzibar. So mm. I wrote Uganda there accidentally. I'm not sure why, but, but it is, but it is the People's Republic of Zanzibar. <laughs> Cancelled. <laughs> I can't write. He doesn't Canceled. know geography. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just really I'm. You know, there, there is no Anglo-Zanzibar war. I've just been making up all this shit as I went along. You know, Zanzibar is even a real place, you know? Yeah. yeah, this is fake. <laughs> you fools. You actually believe Zanzibar is a real country? <laughs> that's that's going to be another t-shirt. Like, Zanzibar doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Zanzibar is no, not real. Yeah, just Australia. like Australia. Yeah. That's Yeah, they don't exist. I still... I, I've, 
slowed down commenting on Facebook that it doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, but why? That's so much Do you fun. remember that? Do you remember when I yeah. used to do that? Yeah, all the Australians get pissed off at you. You'd be like, oh, it's like British cowboy land. You know, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they get pissed. It was like, especially <laughs> older women would be so mad. I bet. They would call me some really mean names. And I would be mean back. So just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, what? Like, you know, how could you be commenting if you don't exist? All right. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> like you talk about. <laughs> Like, you're, you know, genocide you're, you're, didn't happen. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. Australia's not real. Man, you're, you're, man, you're really just taking yourself to this role, aren't you? You're like the just you fucking Meryl Streep over here, just like how much are they so, paying you? So, so, yeah, so angry over your imaginary country. <laughs> yeah, why no, are you so hurt? <laughs> what, what? One of my favorite little random like statistical facts is so if you take the world population. It has uh, a, like you know a margin of error for like around 0.5 percent, and that 0.5 percent is roughly equivalent to the population of Finland. So, like oh, technically, right. statistically speaking, there's a 50-50 chance that Finland doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all, like those the micro states, you know, right? Like like, um, like Malta. Um, or um, there's a couple in the U.S. too. There's like Malasia, where it's like some guy's house. <laughs> like, yeah, he like he like dresses like a like a like third world dictator has like a <laughs> uniform and a bunch of medals and everything. Like, it's all just kind of for laughs and stuff. But it's like a little like microstate that's like his house, and then like it <laughs> goes to like his like fence. You know, like a few couple like you know a few yards in front of his house. Like, it's pretty funny. <laughs> we need Vermin Supreme to have his own. Oh, bring bring in the boot guy! Absolutely, I, I would love to see some some zombies on treadmills. <laughs> power everything. That's right. A true, a true libertarian hero, if there ever was one. God, he would a what a guy! What a guy! Absolutely. So, <laughs> how the fuck do we get to Vermin Supreme from Zanzibar? Yeah, I feel like we haven't really even talked about Zanzibar. <laughs> Well, it's, it's so, but it's I mean, so it, it was so quick, right? It is the shortest war in history, so really, like you know, you can give some background, some details, and it's like it's over I mean, thirty-eight so, minutes. But so, it just goes to show, like twenty years it took them, and they still tried. Well, I don't even know that they tried him, but they held him in the Seashell Island. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. They Held didn't him. get send him back to Zanzibar. Yeah, no, they sent him back to he wasn't yeah, he wasn't ever allowed to set foot back in Zanzibar, they sent him to Mombasa in Kenya. So um so then in so after so we have going back to John Okello, who he he proclaimed the People's Republic of Zanzibar in nineteen sixty three after he overthrew the constitutional monarchy. And then shortly thereafter, thousands of ethnic Arabs and Indian civilians were murdered in the coming months. So this is clearly kind of like an outpouring of, we mentioned earlier how the, you know, the African Bantu people were kind of the underclass of Zanzibar for most of history. So this is clearly them just like venting their rage against, you know, the, you know, the no doubt discrimination, oppression they, they faced. So, so like, like anything in history, so. Uh, in 1972, the president of Zanzibar, Karume, was assassinated by anti-government forces, igniting conflict between pro and anti-government forces for several weeks. 
And then a multi-party government was established finally in 1992. Uh, so 20 years afterwards, they finally are able to get the country together and establish a multi-party state. And this is also roughly about 30 years after they gained their independence. Uh, so, but to this day, allegations of vote rigging and corruption still haunt the government. So uh, that is where Zanzibar is today. And uh, so that is the Anglo-Zanzibar War. <laughs> so what do you think about that, Matt? Um, it's not surprising. Yeah? You know, I, I think at that 1890s, a lot of shady shit. I mean, the U.S., 1893, I think is when the U.S., uh, there was, like, one Marine ship off the coast of Honolulu that mm-hmm. supported, like, the the illegal overthrow. Yeah, yeah, the sugar plantation owners, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, uh, yeah, the 13 some, families. Yeah, yeah, them, yeah, them and some Marines overthrew the, uh, the, the monarchy yeah, there, yeah. 172 Marines, I think. Mm-hmm. So not even that. that many people, you know. Like, no. Tons of shady shit. That still has not been accounted for. The queen... Really, all this boils down to, you know, it's just force. Mm-hmm. You know, it's government force. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I'm getting on my, on my libertarian soapbox again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, it's real. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our ideas about political economy come from that time in history. Mm-hmm. John Locke and uh, Adam Smith, all those guys. That's, that has bred this really interesting wave in America that I don't quite know how to articulate, but I th- it's it's weird that people would be so interested in the queen. Yeah. And, and interested um, in that, that lineage of power maintaining itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say, though, that I'm all that shocked, because you also have to look at the culture, too. I mean, you look at the history of America, and it's like, you know, or, or you look at, like, what kind of media we consume, and, like, you know, Disney... Of course, you know, like, you know, propping up all these like royal families and everything. And like, oh, look how awesome it is to be a princess and all of that. Oh, right. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, the Kardashians and Trump and, and Grace Kelly married literal royalty, right? The daughter mm-hmm. of the Vanderbilt estate um, yeah. married a Churchill, right? So it's, it's yeah. there, but. Yeah. So, like, yeah, even if they wield no actual real political power, there is still that kind of reverence for royalty that we have, you know, in this country and it's present in other countries too. But, but I, I do, although at the same time, I do think though, it's in to a degree, I think it's starting to shift uh, because of all this stuff, you know, I, I think kind of the, oh, yeah. with the Epstein and everything going on, especially. <laughs> and then this, and then this stuff with, with, I should say probably diet, the diet and stuff started it for sure. Oh, How yeah. they handled yeah. that was just terrible. But and they have that plus the Epstein and plus this other stuff with Harry and Megan. So I think that kind of the, the veil is starting to come off, I think, with the royal family. And people are starting to kind of see it for what it is to a degree. And I, I can certainly see that within, I think, maybe the next generation or so, I could see the royal family not being a thing anymore. But Oh, yeah. yeah. I read a really great, um, I think you're totally right. I read a great, uh, I think it was an, either the New Yorker or New York Times article. And it was talking about how... Uh, Queen Elizabeth II is really the last, probably the last uh, feudal idea of what a queen is, uh, that she held power for so long and through so many transitions that now she's out, it's it's game over, man. Mm-hmm. Charles is just not interesting. And William is obviously a, 
<laughs> an idiot. Right? Yeah. And you know, yeah, I think the idea of looking at this family holding that kind of symbolic power is just going away. Certainly, I, I totally agree. But uh, somehow, depravity, <laughs> yeah, depravity, sorry. all, all that, all that bullshit, the flight logs and everything. Well, it's like the Sultan, you know. Why, why do you think that you could <laughs> hold up in your <laughs> shitty-made palace, and this world power would would brook your bullshit, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I think to me, uh, what I like about this kind of, you know, going back to like the the Zanzibar stuff too is that I think this is a great example though of you know. I talked a little bit about in the War on the Golden Stool. There was this period uh, as the European powers are first starting to get involved in Africa in the early 1800s. Uh, there was a period when there was kind of a relative parity between the Africans and the Europeans in terms of just the kind of like you know firepower they were able to bring. I mean, like when the British were coming and when they were fighting against the Ashanti Empire during the first Ashanti War, they were carrying muskets. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, both sides had muskets. I mean, the Ashanti muskets maybe weren't as you know, good as the British, they made more advanced, but they were largely still muskets, and mm-hmm. then the Ashanti were able to defeat them. But then, you know, and he, then the next war, they've got, you know, like, it, or by the fifth Anglo-Ashanti war, they've got Maxim guns and British loading mm-hmm. guns. So, you know, this is just another example of that, where, you know, the the uh, the Sultan had these, you know, cannons and everything there, these primitive cannons, and then these, mm-hmm. you know, like, musket-armed soldiers, and then he's facing off against the Royal Navy, with these advanced <laughs> warships that are able to just bombard the shit out of his palace and suffer virtually no casualties as a result. So it's just kind of an example of kind of that massive gap in technology, and which is largely what, I mean, that plus, of course, the supplies and largely the, uh, the, the quinine, that like the malaria medicine, that was a really kind of all of that combined is really what allowed the European powers to conquer the Africans and really not that long of a time period. So, right. And, yeah. and this is just a small isolated example of that phenomenon. So right now, let me look at right now we're at 41 minutes. So that is actually, we've officially gone past <laughs> the war. So this podcast is longer than the Anglo Zanzibar war of 1896. <laughs> and so before we leave, this is going to be the, this is the last episode of the five wars you never heard of series. From now on, I'm going to be releasing episodes on a weekly basis, uh, probably on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, the The platforms vary on when they post. Sometimes it'll be like the day afterwards of when I post it. But you can be assured I will post weekly episodes, and I'll be sure to go ahead and give you updates. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere else you can find your podcast. Uh, and go ahead and check us out on Twitter as well and Facebook. And uh, with that. Don't start any wars with the <laughs> British Empire in 1896. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? Don't start no wars. <laughs> All right. Take it Peace. easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>